Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is Friday, the 11th of February. If you haven't done so already, you know, now's probably the time to buy your red construction paper and your doilies and get your scissors out and make your valentines. Yep. It's a good opportunity to remind people of the love of God in Christ Jesus for each and every one of us. If you've never done the acrostic and how the word valentine shows up, if you use the words from John 316, I'll just let you figure out that little project on your own today. Yeah, it's just a pencil and a sheet of paper. You can figure it out. Write the word Valentine vertically and then figure out how the words of John 316 fall across the page uh, in order to fill that in. Communicate the love of God today uh, and over these coming days to others. If you want to join us uh, at MyFaithRadio.com, we got a big invitation right now to join our Kindness Always initiative just in time for Valentine's weekend. And if you missed the conversation uh, yesterday that we had uh, here with Lieutenant Colonel John Bradley about the current status of things in Afghanistan and how you can help, you can check that out. Uh, as well as every other prior episode of this show. Uh, We post them as podcasts at MyFaithRadio.com. You can also find them on the Faith Radio app. So a couple of headlines, one of them actually, uh, a couple of them related to Afghanistan today. But um, but a big headline related to what the President of the United States said yesterday on NBC News. Just want to make you aware of this. Uh, President Biden very, very bluntly told American citizens currently in the nation of Ukraine to get out now uh, by any means possible and that if they don't leave and Russia does invade, that the United States is not going to help them. Period. End of statement. The president made the statement in answer to Lester Holt's question on NBC. Here's the quote. This is President Biden speaking. American citizens should leave now. It's not like we're dealing with a terrorist organization. We're dealing with one of the largest armies in the world. It's a very different situation. There he's talking about the difference between uh, Russia on the border of Ukraine and the situation in Afghanistan when the Taliban took over upon the American withdrawal at the end of August. So again, the president of the United States, it's a very different situation and things could go crazy quickly. Lester Holt then asked President Biden what scenario uh, could prompt him to send troops to rescue Americans fleeing the country. And Biden flatly replied, there's not. There's a world war when Americans and Russia start shooting at one another. So uh, the message of the president of the United States, very, very clear. Uh, American citizens and others who want to uh, be able to peaceably depart from Ukraine should do so now uh, if and when Russia actually invades. The United States will not be present in any way to assist U.S. citizens uh, in leaving that country. That's an uh, important note. So um, 
I want to lift that up. In the same interview, the president rejected the findings of uh, uh, a very long internal investigation by the U.S. Army into what happened during the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And so the U.S. Army's internal investigation examined how and why the Bagram Air Force field was abandoned, how and why American citizens and hundreds of thousands of our allies got left behind when the Taliban took over the country at the end of August last year, and frankly, why the whole thing was such a disastrous mess. The report concludes uh, or includes criticisms criticisms of the Biden administration by U.S. military officials, um, basically saying that uh, members of the Biden administration failed to grasp the situation in Afghanistan as U.S. forces withdrew. President Biden said that the findings of the report, which Lester Holt was reading to him verbatim on air, uh, did not square with what he as the president of the United States had been told. And when asked directly by Lester Holt if he was rejecting the findings of the report, President Biden replied, yes, I am. I am rejecting them. So that is happening. Um, If you are not aware of the current status of things in Afghanistan, listening to the conversation we had yesterday with retired Lieutenant Colonel John Bradley, um, I think would be a uh, a retired Lieutenant General, excuse me, um, would be uh, a particular blessing to you uh, and, and knowing how you can help as well. All right. When was the last time that you gave much thought to the Ten Commandments? Just pause there for a moment. When was the last time you gave much thought to the Ten Commandments? How many of them do you think you could enumerate if we were to have a little, you know, quiz right now? You and I were sitting down, we're having coffee. How many of the Ten Commandments do you think you could name off? All right. um, Honor your father and your mother. Keep the Sabbath holy. Do not commit adultery. Do not commit murder. Do not lie. I'm not, I don't have them in the right order. Um... The name of the Lord, our God, right? Keeping it holy. Yeah, having no other gods. They're not in the right order. Oh, don't covet. That's definitely the last one. You know, your neighbor's stuff. Um, Those are often referred to as the 10 words. And our friend Bruce Ashford has been reflecting on the 10 words for a broken society. So what does it mean? What does it mean for you and I to have no other gods? Or what does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy in a 24-7, 365 fear of missing out world. Those questions are going to be answered next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. can read uh, the post that we are going to be discussing today at bruceashford.net. Bruce, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be on the show again. Favorite show Thank of mine. You. Oh, you're so kind. You're so kind. We love we love talking with you as well. All right. The 10 words, the 10 commandments. You are uh, in the midst of publishing a series on 10 words for a broken society. I'd love to just begin at the beginning. What does it mean um, in the context of the conversations that we have today and the life we're living today to have no other gods? Yeah. So, you know, I want to start out by saying the Ten Commandments were intended by God not only for Israel, but the uh, the basic principles embedded in the Ten Commandments are, better, are intended for all people universally. The Bible affirms that again in places like Romans chapter 1. And 
the first commandment is absolutely foundational, utterly basic to uh, our ability to flourish as individuals and as a society. Um, <clears throat> what does it mean to have no other gods? When Israel's day, it meant not to uh, worship a golden calf or, you know, uh, you know, the different gods of the nations that surrounded them for day. Uh, today, it means the same thing. Metaphorically, you know, figuratively, uh, we tend to embrace gods like sex and money and power. Um, a, a false god is anything that we absolutize, anything we make number one and put on the throne of our life so that kind of is the ultimate controlling factor of our life. And, uh, you know, what God says does the same thing he says to Israel. Choose decisively for the Lord. Put away the gods which your father served, Josh 24, 14. Love the Lord God with all your heart, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. And uh, I, we've got a, we've got problems with that in America, obviously, uh, it, you know, just like Israel had problems in her day. I think when when you describe it as that which we absolutize or that which we organize our life around, that makes it an easier question maybe for me to ask myself. What am I really organizing my life around? Am I, am I organizing my life around my work schedule? Am I organizing my life around another person? Am I organizing my life around a team um, or an organization or an, or an idea or an addiction? What am I organizing my life around? Um, and, you know, that's going to get my time, my energy, my attention. And I think that when we talk about idolatry, that, I think that makes the, conger, the, the conversation more real to me, Bruce. Yeah, it does. I mean, you list some great examples, like real uh, everyday practical examples of, of uh, what it looks like when we, we worship false gods. We take the things that are closest to us and right in front of our face that seem important and are important. Uh, for example, your work, uh, your workplace task list. And what we do is we blow that up out of proportion and make it a god. We let it be the, the controlling factor in our life. And that can happen at the social level with the same gods. Uh, success at work, sex, money, power, etc. Um, but it can happen also politically in the political realm by ascribing to ideologies that enthrone uh, something other than God. Socialism, for example, um, enthrones and absolutizes material equality. That's more important than anything else. And if you can gain material equality, it kind of doesn't matter what you do along the way to uh, to get there for society. Or um, progressivism makes a god out of progress that uh, the, the, the main evil in life is conserving a uh, nation's cultural heritage. We want to throw it away and start over again so we can take, take a, a great leap forward and uh, uh, build some sort of uh, utopia. So there's, this commandment is the most foundational commandment, you know, mm. to love God rather than loving false gods. The next commandment uh, is about making carved images, and I think this is an easy one for us to kind of just set aside and say, oh, that is, that is, that's an issue of a bygone day. I'm not making graven images out of anything. I love the way you help us see in this that any way that in which we misunderstand, misrepresent, mischaracterize God, we are actually um, not seeing him as he has revealed himself to be the true in his true nature and true character. So we're going to continue this conversation with Bruce Ashford in just a moment. And we're going to talk about um, or continue our conversation about his series, 10 Words for a Broken Society. And we're going to talk about false worship of the true God. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
have you ever heard someone say, um, well, that's not how I see God, or my God doesn't require people to believe those things, or I don't believe in a God who judges people. Here we are talking about the way we project an image onto God versus uh, the image of God that has been revealed to us by God himself. Do you see God for who he really is, or um, is your God some figment of your own imagination? That is the issue of the commandment related to false worship. Um, Bruce Ashford is here. We're talking about a series of posts that you can find at bruceashford.net on the 10 words for a broken society. Bruce, let's address this topic. Yeah, so you know, the word uh, image is related to the word imagine. And in the old days, when someone imagined God differently as he is, they would make an image that represented their imagination, like a golden calf, for example. We don't generally make images uh, you know, of God these days, like the golden calf or, you know, a golden, uh, you know, cow or monkey or whatever. But uh, we do imagine God often differently than he is. Imagine a woman who uh, regularly told her friends, you know, I like to see my husband as a six foot two Antonio, uh, Antonio uh, Banderas with uh, nice pecs, who uh, on date night likes to just go to Home Goods and TJ Maxx and like <laughs> to drink strawberry, strawberry smoothies and talk about fashion trends home furnishing ideas and Instagram trends. And then imagine her real husband, Frank, who's five, six, likes to work in his truck. He wears Wrangler jeans. And his perfect idea of a date is to go shoot deer together on Saturday mornings. Imagine how offended he would be that in order for his wife to get excited about him, she would have to imagine him differently than he is. Well, God's the same way. He wants us to imagine him as he as he is. And, you know, we've got a big problem in our society of wanting God to be updated to American trends. We think that God is kind of an evolving deity who continually updates himself to fit, uh, you know, modern opinion. And God gives strong, strong warnings against this, against worshiping counterfeit uh, versions of the true God. I, you, you brought to mind a conversation that I had once with a couple, um, and she said, he has to close his eyes to look at me. And that, that was the root of their problem in their marriage. If you have to close your eyes so that in your imagination, the person in front of you becomes something other than they are, um, there's a real problem there. And you brought that to mind as I was reading this list, right? If people have to close their eyes and imagine that God is something other than God has revealed himself to be, then you're not really worshiping the the true God. You're just not. You're you're worshiping something that you've conceived of in your own imagination or syncretized through your own experiences or exposures to other people's, you know, ideas and fantasies. This is a real issue in our culture today, Bruce, and you've really illuminated it in a way that uh, that helped me see it. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, I grew up as the son of a, a bank manager, and I remember him teaching me how uh, he and his bank tailors could spot counterfeit bills. And he said, basically, the way it is, is that you handle real bills so often. Uh, and you know the feel of them and you look at them that when you see a counterfeit bill intuitively, you know it when you see it. And so we want to do the same thing with God. We want to expose ourselves to God as he really is by meditating on Scripture and knowing it well. So that when a counterfeit view of God comes up, we know it intuitively and immediately. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, let's move to the next one. Um, here I'm looking at your 10 words for a broken society, and I am looking at um, number three, no dishonoring the true God. Tell us about this. 
Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about God and his name, not taking um, the Lord, your, the name of the Lord, your God in vain, you know, here in the States, our names tend to not carry as much significance as they did in the old days. In the old days, your name uh, represented your family heritage, and there were certain characteristics, positive characteristics associated with it. And God's name uh, tells us something about his nature, his power, his presence, like his name represents him. It's a stand-in for who he is. And um, so what is the misuse of God's name? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is using his name in combination with the word damn. Mm. I mean, you know that, you know, you don't want to lightly toss around that God is damning this or damning that because that's a, only God can tell you what he's damning or what he's not damning. But the, the bigger problem in taking God's name in vain is, is using it in any kind of empty, careless, hypocritical uh, manner. And for American Christians, um, maybe the main way we take God's name in vain is the fact that we proudly wear the name Christian, declaring it to the rooftops, while often behaving in ways that deeply dishonor God. I think of the political realm. Look at people's Facebook pages, you know, where they're mm. screaming their audience about some political issue using the all caps and exclamation feature repeatedly. You know, if you stole those keys off their keyboard, they wouldn't know how to type. Um, or look at uh, Christians on political shows or even sometimes pastors from pulpits and uh, or us in our personal lives. We want to be careful wearing the name Christian, that been, but then behaving in a way that is counter to uh, the, the example that uh, Jesus gave us. All right, and then let's talk about um, this next post. Again, we are looking at the 10 Words for a Broken Society series. You can read it at bruceashford.net, and I, I highly recommend that so that you can, um, you know, dig around in these issues and concerns and actually apply the commandments to your life and experience today and provoke conversations with others. Let's talk about number four, no neglect of rest and worship. Oh, I want to rest in the Lord. I want to, um, I really do. I'm, I'm exhausted and I want to rest. Talk with me about this, this commandment that's really an invitation. Yeah, this commandment was stated at first specifically to Israel. And God said, I want you to remember the Sabbath day. In other words, I want you to take a particular day, Saturday, and I want you to worship me and rest. Um, today, Saturday is not the day. Sunday is the day for, for Christians. But the universal principle for all people everywhere is there should be a rhythm built into your calendar in which you mark off a day each week to worship God and rest your body. The Bible says repeatedly the Sabbath was created for human beings rather than human beings being created for the Sabbath. So God created this day of rest for us to help us. And when we ignore it, we ignore it to our own uh, to our own de detriment. Um, and then one central way that we, we remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is by gathering with our churches on Sunday morning. Every time the church gathers to hear the word of God preached and take the Lord's Supper, we are making a profound declaration and that is that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Jesus mm -hmm. is Lord. He is the one true and only God, no other God. And so this commandment implies the first three. When we gather to worship God, we want to worship him and not false gods. We want to worship him as he truly is, and we want to worship him without taking his name in vain, without doing it lightly. So when we take these four together, it feels like there's a lot here for us to consider in terms of our relationship with God. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there really is. I think a, a good way to start the morning, I mean, not everyone is a morning person, but even if you're not a morning person, just briefly start um, start the day with a prayer, maybe even before your feet hit the ground to get your cup of coffee. You know, for me, um, you know, Jesus turned water into wine, but I turn uh, dessert into breakfast. So I get up in the morning and I have some form of dessert with a cup of coffee. Well, before I do that, it's good for me to just say a brief prayer to God. Lord, help me to worship you instead of the other idols that compete for my attention. Help me to worship you as you really are and, uh, and not take your name in vain today. And if we can do that mm-hmm. one day at a time, the Lord will help us to build a life that genuinely and truly honors him over the years. Mm-hmm. I want to be honoring God with my life. Thank you, Bruce, for your um, help in shining uh, an important light on the Ten Commandments, Ten Words for a Broken Society. You can find these at bruceashford.net. And Bruce, um, you're going to have to come back because, you know, we're only up to number four. Hey, listen, I'm ready whenever you are. Thanks for having (laughs) me on the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much. You can find Bruce at bruceashford.net. We'll be right back. It is the 11th of February, so we are in Acts chapter 11 today in our reading through the Bible. I hope you've been tracking along with us. If not, you can uh, catch up. Uh, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com. We have a daily podcast. We have um, a, a study that includes all kinds of questions for reflection and helps us engage the scriptures in, in terms of not only our understanding of what God has said, but an application of his word to our life today, like how we're actually going to walk it out. So we're in Acts chapter 11 today in answer to the question, where in the word are you today? I hope at least some of you are with me in Acts chapter 11 we experience in Acts 11 um, this conversation where Peter, having uh, had this incredible dream during which God made him aware that all things are now clean, and so uh, Peter has extended God's grace um, and extended the gospel uh, to Gentiles. And there are those back in Jerusalem who have lots of questions about that, and so Peter's not defensive. He just comes and tells the story. This is what happened. This is my experience. This is how uh, God extended his grace and the Holy Spirit uh, fell upon these believers in Christ who believe in the same way that you and I believe and uh, call on the same name of Jesus. And when they heard this, um, they glorified God and said, well, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is an incredible point in human history for, for each and every one of us who is not genetically Jewish, uh, racially Jewish. This is a, an incredible pivot point where the good news of the gospel is extended to us as well. And so in Acts chapter 11, I don't want you to miss that. It's also um, in this chapter where we first hear and see uh people who follow Christ called Christians. Up until this point, they are understood as basically a sect of Judaism. They, um, they are understood 
as people who uh, are following what's called the way, which would be a particular version or variety of Christianity, you know, after a rabbi whose name was Jesus. Well, now that this movement includes Gentiles as well, Gentile Christians, the name is changed and they begin to be referred to as Christians. Um, So Acts chapter 11, where in the word are you today? I am in Acts chapter 11. My guess is that you have heard about the metaverse, even if you don't really quite grasp it yet. Well, it's already a threat to our kids and bad stuff's already happening there. So Chris Martin is going to join us as he always does. He's going to help us understand a little bit more about the threat we need to be aware of and keeping our kids safe as the metaverse becomes our shared reality. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Joining us again today, Chris Martin. You can find him at his blog, termsofservice.social, termsofservice.social. Terms of Service is also the title of his brand new book. He's been doing tons of interviews about it, and we're just thrilled to have him back with us today. Chris, welcome back. Carmen, so it feels like I'm coming home when I'm getting on this <laughs> one. You know, I was telling I was telling our friend Paul uh, in the in the pre-show chat that we were just having that I've been doing a few of these, like feels like almost every day. And it feels so nice to just hop on our, our typical twice a month Friday morning slot and hang out and talk. So I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Exactly. Okay. Well, so we want to know, though, uh, of all of the conversations that you've had about the book, um, has somebody asked like a really good question that I didn't ask? Oh, man. I don't know. All of them sort of flow together. I, most recently, somebody asked um, specifically about kind of how how we got here, like as far as so mm. at the beginning of the book, I, I write about kind of the history of the social Internet. And most of the conversations I've had have been kind of like where we are right now and where we're headed in the future. Um, but I've heard some like kind of qualitative feedback from from readers that they really love the beginning where I kind of say, hey, here's how the Internet evolved from, you know, basic kind of nerdy computer nerd interest kind of thing and, and basic email to Facebook and where we are today. And uh, so I have a chapter at the beginning of the book about how we evolved, how the Internet evolved over the last 30 years or so. And and uh, an interviewer the other day asked specifically they wanted to talk more about that evolution. And that was they were the only one to really ask about that. So that was a fun conversation. See, that's really good. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so when we think about I'm just going to confess um, Wordle, it's a game. I've never played it. And yet, uh, I know, and yet there's an awful lot of people who I know who seem quite obsessed with playing Wordle. So what do I need to know about about Wordle? Okay, well, first of all, uh, I suppose it's important to say now the New York Times owns it, and they've kind of transitioned it over like it has the New York Times font now and such, and that happened just in the last couple of days. Um, What you should know about Wordle is it's a once a day word game that um it, back in so back in the day oh, so it's not like a rabbit hole a so it's not like a rabbit hole that people no. could fall down into and so it's not like if i download wordle there's any chance i'm going to spend hours a day doing it that was my fear that's absolutely right no that's mm-hmm. absolutely right and you can't even download it because it's not an app at least not yet um now mm. i think because the new york times bought it they'll put it 
they're going to line it up with all their other like crossword games. And the New York Times has a few word games, and they're really fun. They, they have a fun little suite of word games. Um, and so you'll be able to play it in the New York Times app, I'm sure, in the near future if you can't already. Um, but yeah, it's just a web browser game. A guy who used to do like computer engineering and, and coding for the website Reddit, um, his girlfriend wanted a word game that was different from like the ones the New York Times offered, ironically enough. Like she was sick of the crossword and she was sick of some of their other games. And so he created this game that's really reminiscent of a show I used to watch on Game Show Network when I was a kid called Lingo that was actually hosted by Chuck Woolery. And it's it's you have um, six guesses to correctly guess a mysterious five letter word. Um, so there's a different five letter word every day. And you have uh, on your first guess, you just guess a word. You, the chances of you getting it on the first guess are obviously quite slim because you'd just be pretty lucky. But this morning, I just did the one this morning and and I guessed the word place as my first one because I'm like, well, P, L, and C are pretty common consonants and A and E are my two vowels. And then if, when you guess, the box, if the boxes for the letters light up uh, green, that means you have the letter in the correct slot. If they light up yellow, that means the letter's in the word, but you have it in the incorrect slot. And if the box for a particular letter doesn't light up at all, uh, you you uh, that letter's not in the word. And so uh, you you have six guesses then to kind of by process of elimination try to figure out what the word is for the day. And uh, it's really fun. And that's the magic of it. Like you said, there's no it's no rabbit hole. There's no ads. It's not monetized. Eventually, it'll probably be behind the New York Times paywall, but it's not yet. And anybody can play it. There's no gems to buy for extra lives. You can't play it for eight hours on end. I usually play it when I sit down at my desk first thing in the morning for about five minutes while I'm drinking coffee or eating breakfast, and then you go on with your day. And and I, my friends and I at Moody Publishers, we, we created a Slack channel in our like work communication <laughs> platform, and we share our results every day and, and marvel at people who get it in a couple of guesses or bemoan the people who sometimes miss it completely. So it's fun. All right. There's no clues. I already. I just pulled it up. There's not. You don't. There's not even any clues. You just start with a key. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Chris, if I'm going to become a fan or not. Okay. I need you to tell us how we're going to protect our kids from the metaverse. I, I can already tell you that the stuff that I'm reading about the metaverse um, makes me not want to go there, and it makes me want to tell other people to like warn other people not to go there. And I maybe I'm being a. Uh, chicken little, but I don't, I don't, I already don't like it. So I know that you deal with this in your terms of service blog. Again, you guys can find it at termsofservice.social. Can we protect our kids in the metaverse? Oh my goodness. I don't know. Uh, I really don't know. I mean, can we protect our kids on the internet? Maybe. Mm. Uh, I, you know, I, I I share a similar sort of chicken little, I'm not so sure about this skepticism of the future of the internet, which the metaverse is coming. So so here's the deal. Um, you can, you and I both, I think are of the same mind that we can, we can not want to encourage people to go there. But I think it's going to be in the next couple of decades, probably as ubiquitous as getting on social media. And as much as I sometimes want to discourage people from getting on social media, that I, that's kind of a frivolous effort, I think. Um, and so so I think it's coming. And there's a great article on the Gospel Coalition a couple of months ago now. Gosh, it was probably end of 2021, fall or so, where they, they had a couple of guys, a couple of friends of mine. They've become friends of mine. Patrick and Ian are their names. And, and they wrote about how we should prepare ourselves for the metaverse because it's coming. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. Like, 
you know, if we would have been sitting here in 1999 and been telling people, I'm not so sure about this internet thing, maybe we should not use it. Well, that wouldn't have been very successful. And I think the same is going to be true of this. So it's more a matter of how do we prepare ourselves and our children to use it wisely, not so much a whether we decide to opt in or out, because I think it's going to kind of become just a requirement for regular participation in society. I don't think that's happening like in five years, as a lot of movers and shakers such as Mark Zuckerberg and Meta slash Facebook have tried to make it sound like it's imminent. I don't think it's imminent, but I do think it's closer than maybe a lot of people realize. And I think we should start preparing ourselves for it just like mentally and, and even spiritually uh, to just kind of get ready for it. And maybe, maybe try not to make some of the same mistakes we made on web 2.0 and the social internet as we know it today. Okay. So in order to enter the metaverse, engage in the metaverse, I need, I would need to have some virtual reality device. And then what would I do? I know this is like super practical and, but just assume I don't know where the metaverse is nor how to open the door. Yeah. Yeah. You would need to buy a virtual reality headset. The cheapest of which right now, unfortunately, is Meta slash Facebook's Oculus Quest device. Um, And then you would basically log on to a virtual video game looking world and or or set of worlds where you could you could enter into a game or experience that was more social driven, where it was almost like you're in this virtual chat room, but instead of typing on a screen, you're walking around and talking and a, and a microphone is picking up your voice. Or it could just be like a video, a traditional video game experience where you're seeing it right on your eyeballs and in your ears rather than looking at it on a screen, you know, a foot away or five feet away from your face. Um, I, I don't encourage anybody to try to get involved with the metaverse right now, frankly, because the best entry point is through a device that I don't think we should trust uh, in, mm-hmm. in Meta's Quest device. I wouldn't trust a device owned by Facebook as far as I could throw it. And I could throw that one pretty far because it's pretty small, but I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't sign like, right. I would love to get in and like tinker, right. Cause that's how I, I'm an early adopter mm-hmm. type, mm-hmm. but I'm mm-hmm. not going to pay $600. I'm not going to pay six or $700 for Samsung's device, but I'm, and, and I also don't want to buy the cheapest version, the $300 meta device. So I'm just kind of waiting and watching mm. and kind of observing from the outside and waiting for maybe a more ethical, trustworthy, uh, tool that I can use to start tinkering, but I'm, I'm, I haven't dipped my feet in yet and I wouldn't necessarily encourage anybody else to do so either. All right. I'm going to read one paragraph and then, um, Chris and I are going to take a very brief break. We're going to come back. Uh, here's the, here's the quote, um, in terms of this conversation about, uh, the metaverse and the lack of safety and precautions. Researchers with the Center for Countering Digital Hate, a nonprofit that analyzes and seeks to disrupt online hate and misinformation, spent nearly 12 hours recording activity on VR chat, which is a virtual world platform accessed on Meta's Oculus headset. The group logged an average of one infringement every seven minutes, including instances of sexual content, racism, abuse, hate, homophobia, and misogyny, um, often with minors present. The, the concern, um, the concern that minors, that children are present in all kinds of spaces and places in the quote unquote metaverse and that active abuse is taking place there, including, um, rape. Yep. Uh, Facebook responds, has responded to a woman 
being raped in virtual reality on its metaverse platform. So it is already a bad, dangerous place. And we have to know about it and we have to talk about it um, because it is for a lot of people the place where they are interacting. We're going to continue our conversation with Chris Martin. You can check out uh, his material at termsofservice.social. We'll be right back. Talking with Chris Martin, uh, among other things, he is the author of Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media. Uh, he's very, very busy doing interviews about the book. And uh, and so, Chris, we're going to ask you um, the best question that you've been asked by others. So how did we get here? What What is, you know, sort of the evolution over 30 years of the social Internet? Yeah, I mean, the Internet started way back in the Cold War era as a means for government institutions and and college research institutions to be able to communicate and transfer data uh, to one another pretty quickly. And and in the government's case, in case of a sort of, you know, uh, Cold War turning hot war kind of uh, Russia doing something situation. And so uh, it started as a government project and, and eventually turned into the World Wide Web with the work of Tim Berners-Lee at CERN. Um, over in Europe and um, the the Science Research Institute over there, and and so you know started way back then. But really, it wasn't until the '90s that the internet invaded the home. I think a lot of listeners probably remember that. I'm born in 1990, and and my dad worked for IBM when I was a kid. So, and what's kind of crazy is he was working for IBM from home uh, as soon as. The early 90s, uh, 1992, 93 at the at the latest, maybe even before that, I don't remember. Um, and uh, and so a, a local, in fact, a local newspaper even like did a story on like local man works from home. He's one of a million <laughs> Americans who, you know, works from home. And and so we, I, I was using I was using a computer and and hopping on the internet as as early as like first grade because Windows 95, you know that that Microsoft invention that really really exploded their business. I mean they were already growing pretty quickly, but that really exploded Microsoft to what we know it to be today. That brought the computer home in a lot of ways, where the computer had been a very expensive techie device for people who were interested in that sort of thing, but wouldn't necessarily have in their home. Windows 95, the software that the operating system that we many of us remember using is what brought the computer to a lot of people's houses. Um, And then shortly following after that were versions of the internet that were a lot more usable than the earliest versions. So these were called walled gardens. Um, And they're called walled gardens because it's not like you hopped into a web browser in 1997 and went to www.aol.com. You had a service, which the three most popular were CompuServe, Prodigy, and AOL. Um, And they all had their own little emphases. CompuServe was kind of for that computer nerd type and was more techie. Prodigy was actually a product uh, partially of IBM and uh, Sears, like there was there was online shopping in the Prodigy one, which everybody was like, I'm not so interested in putting my credit card in this internet thing quite yet. How funny is that to think about? And um, and then AOL came along in in the late 90s, and their biggest selling point, if you will, was that it was social. It was all about chatting with other people around the world, and and that combined with their 
world-leading use of the CD-ROM. Because, I mean, at the height of CD music, the leading producer and, and, and user of CD-ROMs in the 1990s was AOL with their trial discs, which I'm sure everyone listening can remember getting dozens of those delivered to their mailbox. I remember it when I was a kid. And so AOL really is what made the internet feel social because it was the first online platform to really popularize using the internet to connect with other people of various interests or lifestyles through their chat rooms that were based on interests or lifestyles. And it's from there when we kind of broke out of those walled gardens to using the the internet browser as we know it today through Internet Explorer, Microsoft's one, or or earliest Netscape Navigator, which was a precursor to Firefox. Um, this is when we started using the internet kind of on our own terms and, and clicking around and typing in www dots. And that's when we started to see modern social media platforms like Friendster, MySpace, uh, and and some other early ones that kind of fell off quite quickly. But that that's a brief kind of evolution of how we got to where we are. And, and obviously from MySpace, we get to Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, to where we are today. So it just occurs to me, I mean, uh, how old I am <clears throat> and how young you are. I mean, when you talk about, you know, in first grade, Windows 95 is something that was accessible to you. That's pretty astonishing to me just to consider and think about. I um, had my very first exposure to a computer sitting on, uh, you know, a table in the library of my high school. And mm. so, um, you know, I, when I went to college, there was a computer lab where you went and typed up your papers um, and printed them out to turn them in because that was how that worked. Um, otherwise, you did it on your typewriter because we had typewriters, not computers still. And so it wasn't until I went to seminary that um, like people had their own. I did have my own computer by the time I graduated from college. Right. But it was this huge desktop thing that was, you know, enormous. I mean, it's not like it's certainly not like you were slipping it into your purse and taking it with you somewhere um, or you know, the, now the size of your phone. I think that that as it has gotten smaller and as more and more people have become native to it, it has become now such a part of our lives that there are a lot of people who can't imagine life without it. And there are still there. There is still yet uh, generations of us who certainly can imagine life before it. Yeah, it's frankly like again. I, I didn't start using the internet till I was in first grade. Like you know, I here's like my, my daughter. My daughter loves watching Elmo. I know. Uh, we should on, just on give a little shout out to Magnolia and just yeah. delight in the fact that she is real. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, and and she 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 watches Elmo on our phones from time to time or whatever on YouTube. Sure. And like, I, it's it's easy to take that for granted today. But like, I didn't have anything like that. And I'm, you know, I was born in 1990. And so things do change so quickly. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so interesting to think about how it has become so kind of assumed. And it's hard for me even to remember what life was like when I couldn't just pop onto Google and find the answer or pop on to Twitter and find like, oh, everyone's talking about some, some big world event happening. Well, how do I learn more about that? I don't have to wait for the evening news or the next day's paper. Like, I don't remember that. And I, and, and it, and, but feasibly I could, you know, if I could remember life before first grade. Um, but it's so interesting that how assumed and, and just how ingrained it has become. It's, it's virtually impossible to imagine a world without it at this point, which in some ways there are so many common graces that come with the internet and all of this technology. 
But naturally, as, as I've written about in the book and talked with you a lot about, there are a lot of things that I think we overlook either because we're just ignorant of them or uh, things meaning uh, concerns and, and reasons we should be concerned, either because we're just ignorant of them or perhaps we don't really want to know the, the dark side of a lot of this stuff. All right. One of our friends listening in Connecticut says, I learned about computers in high school, 80 to 83. I used punch cards to run the school attendance during my study hall, and I got paid to do it. So there you go. Yeah, that's because you lived in Connecticut. Those of us who lived in Florida, we didn't have uh, computers in our high school until the late 80s. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Some of you lived in places with better access. Chris, as always, thank you so much. It's just an absolute delight. Blessings on you as you do all your book interviews. Um, blessings on the launch. The book is Terms of Service. So is um, so is the blog, termsofservice.social. Chris Martin, as always, thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend. You too. We'll be right back. All right. I don't know. Wordle seems like a um, a time suck to me already because it's just five letters and I want to use more than five letters and I don't know what to say about these things. So there you go. That's just a little momentary confession. Yeah, I probably can't play Wordle because I probably it would probably be a crazy time suck for me. All right. So thank you for those of you who are texting in today. Um, just a reminder, you can always text me during the show, 877-933-2484. Maybe you are listening to Face Radio for the very first time. This is the very first time you've heard Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. We gather here every weekday morning. We take the headline news of the day. We apply the mind of Christ. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do as Christians. How can we apply the mind of Christ to the matters of this day in order that we can walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus. Thank you for um, being a part of this time together. We've got a whole nother hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We are going to talk with Adam Holtz about what's on the big and the small screen, and then we're going to talk about the loneliness epidemic and what we can do about it. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.